So this song is a song by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, and it has names of Krishna, especially his uh, most intimate names. So now, let's just say that you were walking down the street in Hawaii, and that's the first time you'd ever been there. And then, from the window, Someone called out your nickname. Anybody here have a nickname? You don't have to tell me what it is. But you have one, right? So, so Hare Krishna, person. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. This is Rupesh Kumar. Rupesh Prabhu. Hare Krishna. comes regularly in programs. It's such a pleasure. So, let's say someone says your nickname. And in one second, you would turn around and try to uh, understand who this is because you'd immediately know that this person knows me, Someone knows else. my family, knows something that has an intimate connection with me. And so in his teachings, Shaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, says that uh, God has many names. He said that they, they all have spiritual power. But some names are more intimate names because God has many features, as mentioned in the in the Shastra. Vadanti tattva vidas tattvam yajkyanaman vayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shakti. God is a dvayagyan tattva. He's one truth. There's only one thing, God. He's everything. All at the same time, but he has different aspects. One of them is his Brahman effulgence, other one is this localized uh, feature like in our hearts and every atom, and the other is his form of Bhagavan, where he, he's uh, intimately connected with his devotees, especially in Vrindavan. And so the names that Bhaktivinoda Thakur puts in this song are the names of Krishna and Vrindavan. So, one of the ways he describes this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that we become uh, close to Krishna is by singing his names. And this is also mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam that uh, when you say the names of Krishna, he actually listens. And for those who say his name he uh, with love, then he won't leave that person's heart. He always stays in their heart. He's bound by the ropes of love is Krishna. So this science of uh, singing the names of Krishna, and especially the ones that are related with his connections to his parents, like Yashoda, and then the Maharaj, and his, uh, all his friends in Vrindavan, is a very sweet way to connect to God. It's the easiest practice of yoga, just by the doctrine of the name, the holy name. Do you know the song Jai Radha Madhava? Yes. Okay, so if you don't know it, you can just 
with some of the, you have a songbook? Yes, yes. Yeah, let's put the songbook and we can sing it together. So my spiritual master uh, is Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I met him in 1973 in San Francisco. I was minding my own business, uh, going to high school, and then uh, he had his campaign to uh, teach Krishna consciousness, and he came to the West all the way from Vrindavan. And I was looking for something more than I was getting in, in my life. And when I read his books, I found that this is the something more I was looking for. So I joined the ashram in San Francisco, with the blessing of my parents, at that year in 1973. And then uh, Prabhupada came there, and he sang all these songs, and they were very captivating. So this is one of the songs he would always sing before he would speak on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So with his blessings, we try to uh, sing this song all together today. And remember, uh, the uh, relationships Krishna has in the spiritual world. So this is uh, known as the song called Jai Radha Madhava. Jai Radha Jana, 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 Jana,
He gives a, a blanket statement that anything that you're doing, anything that you're eating, anything that you're offering or giving away, any tapasya that you're doing, anybody here do tapasya? Mm -hmm. Like, means you're voluntarily do, doing, taking on some kind of suffering, austerity, for the sake of uh, pleasing the Supreme. That's called tapodivyam like uh, tapasya for the sake of the divine. Anybody? Like, uh, did you ever fast or go to the temple on a special day? Like, these are all tapasyas. So he, Krishna's saying, yeah, any of these things, if you do them for the sake of the Supreme, then uh, they'll become purified. Then he says, sangam chakva. So these two words go together well. Sangam chakva means that uh, a sangam means a connection. 
Anga means a, 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 like a limb. Like my hand is an anga of my body. And I'm pretty attached to it. San anga. <coughs> it's uh, connected. So we become connected with all types of things in this world through our <coughs> consciousness. An example, has anybody here ever owned a car? Has anybody's car ever gotten scratched? Did you feel any any anxiety whatsoever when it was scratched? Give me the bus time. Bus, yeah, the bus. Bus. <laughs> it is on your heart. Bus. Bus. After that, yeah, after that, it's all downhill. <laughs> the car becomes an extension of, of us. We have a sangha with it. And if we look around and we see we have sangha with many different things. You know, sometimes we find personalities in the in the Vedas, like Shukadeva Goswami. He endeavored not to have a sangha with anything, because you know the story. He didn't want to come out of the womb, because he said, "I don't want a sangha with the with the material world. I know as soon as they come out, I'll make sangha, family. You know, they want me to go to college. You know, all these things." So he said, "I don't want any anything." But Krishna had to come and tell. Is you it can true come that out. he was in the womb for a very long time? 16 yeah. Years. Yeah. Huh. yeah, 16 years. 16 years. So then when he came out, he just left home. His father was Vyasadeva. Hmm. Still, he's like, nope, nothing. Went to the forest, and there he was staying equipoised, no connection to anything. But his father uh, knew something, and that is there's a kind of sangha that you can make that doesn't degrade you. It doesn't attach you to something that drags you down. And that's an attachment to Krishna. And Krishna's incarnation in the age of Kali Yuga is also the Srimad Bhagavatam. That's mentioned in the book itself. Krishna Swadamo Pagate Dharma Ganadi Bisaha Kalonashta Dushamesha Puranarkodanodita. Just after Krishna left the world, then the Bhagavatam appeared as the incarnation where we'll derive all of the spiritual benefit. So what did Vyasadeva do? He sent out his, some of his students to the forest where his son Shukadeva was meditating. And he had him read out loud some verses from the Bhagavatam. And when Shukadeva Goswami heard those verses, he became spiritually enlightened. And he said, how is it possible? I'm not attached to anything material, but I'm attached to this. And he, he realized that there's a higher kind of connection, a higher sangam. When I become attached to this, then I become uplifted. And then I don't have any material attachments, and nor do I want anything, because I have a higher taste. I'm attached to something better. So, sangam chakva, Krishna's talking about here, giving up attachments to, to, to things that are not worthy of our attachment. Because we're spirit, but I get attached to matter. And let's just say that I, I dream that I want to live in a stone house. And then I'm always I'm making money and I'm thinking of my stone house and I finally move in the stone house. Beautiful stone house. And then I'm always thinking of my stone house and this is so beautiful, I'm sweeping my stone house. But then because my, I have a sangha with my stone house, my consciousness becomes like stone because that's what I'm connected to. 
So whatever we connect ourselves to, that's called a Sangha. So here Krishna is talking about Sangha Tyakva. He's talking about detaching from, our, from those material things that make us like a stone. But it's a great relief we're going to hear. This, it doesn't mean that you have to walk away and live in the forest like Shukadeva Goswami. That's not the process. So we'll read on a little bit more. Okay, then Karoti performs Ya, who, so the person who performs activities and offering them to the Supreme, Lipite affected Na. Now Lipite Na, so he's not affected. Sa, he, Papena means by sin. Padma Patram. And then he gives this example, Eva Ambasa. So like the lotus flower that sits in the water, it's there in the water, but it doesn't ever touch the water, which sounds like an anomaly. But if, if anybody's ever seen a lotus, have you gone and visited one? Lotus flower in the water? Yes. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? And then the water just... Um, slides off. It never adheres to the lotus. I go to Japan regularly and in Osaka, Japan, during the summertime, there's a, there's a, a botanical gardens that has about 20 different uh, types of lotus flowers. And they're blooming in the summertime because they love the heat. And I go and watch them and I think of this first. And you can see how the water's coming on them and it just never touches. So that we, so Krishna's telling us we can live like that by following this process. And here's the translation. One who performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results under the Supreme Lord, is unaffected by sinful action as the lotus leaf is untouched by water. Here's Prabhupada's purport. Here, Brahmani means in Krishna consciousness. The material world is a sum total manifestation of the three modes of material nature, technically called pradhana. The Vedic hymns, Sarvam Hetad Brahma, from, an, from the Mandukya Upanishad, Tasman Etad Brahma Nam Rupam Anam Chajayate, from the Mundaka Upanishad. And in the Bhagavad Gita 14.3, Mama Yonir Mahad Brahma, indicate that everything in the material world is a manifestation of Brahman. And although the effects are differently manifested, they are non-different from the cause. In the Ishapanishad, it is said that everything is related to the Supreme Brahman, or Krishna, and thus everything belongs to him only. One who knows perfectly well that everything belongs to Krishna, that he is the proprietor of everything, and that therefore everything is engaged in the service of the Lord naturally has nothing to do with the results of his activities, whether virtuous or sinful. Even one's material body being a gift of the Lord for carrying out a particular type of action can be engaged in Krishna consciousness. It is then beyond contamination by sinful reactions, exactly as a lotus leaf, though remaining in the water, is not wet. The Lord also says in the Gita 3.30, Mai Sarvani Karmani Sanyasya, resign all works unto me, Krishna. The conclusion is that a person without Krishna consciousness acts according to the concept of the material body and senses, but a person in Krishna consciousness acts according to the knowledge 
that the body is the property of Krishna and should therefore be engaged in the service of Krishna. So yesterday we came through the Delhi airport and there's a, a red channel and a green channel. You're all familiar when you go through customs, right? right. Red, cha red channel means that you have something to, something to declare. And green channel means nothing to declare. It's all within the limits, right? So let's say you go through the green channel and they pull you over and then they look and you, you have something you're not supposed to have and you get a penalty. And even if you go through the red channel and you have something to declare, still you have to go through the trouble of declaring it and then you'll say like, okay, you have to pay this much or whatever it may be. So whatever we're carrying around within us is uh, monitored by the material nature. Uh, as Krishna describes earlier in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a way that when, uh, whenever we're leaving this body, we're also compelled to take on the next body based on what we're carrying with us what we carry in our hearts, and that's what's accommodated in the next life. So if we have a lot of extra stuff, even contraband, that we're carrying with us, like, you know, really bad habits that we just hold on to, that's like, you go through the channel and they're like, hey, you're not supposed to have this. <laughs> you get uh, sort of, uh, that's accounted for. So, the, uh, the way to, to live throughout this life, Krishna's telling about in this verse, is to, to not become overburdened by material attachments. So then somebody might say, but I have attachments anyway. Isn't that the natural course of life? Everyone has some uh, attachment to people, right? Anybody here attached to any person that you know of? Who you can think of? Anybody you can think of that you're attached to? Like name a person. Everybody means your children. Your family. Your family. Do you have a family member you're attached to? Yes. Yeah. Anybody else? Your mother. I was very attached to my parents. I liked them very much. They were so nice to me. That's who I was very attached. And anybody else attachments? Family members. You like your family, right? Okay, so yes, it's natural to have attachments because that's the nature of consciousness. We love. The quintessential nature of consciousness of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught was that we have love. And that means that we are connected through a feelings of emotion to other people. It's quite natural. So we can't artificially cut that and say I won't love anybody and we also have a natural uh, propensity to work just that you know a baby comes out and as soon as the baby starts to uh, get use of fingers toes and everything like that it starts going around grabbing everything right baby puts everything in its mouth tries to explore the world pull everything off the shelves and this is the nature of a living entity. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Nahi kashit shanamapi jatu tishchat karma krit 
that all living entities are always active and connected. So now there's no question of stopping activity or stopping the feeling of love and connection to other people and not, uh, or, or stopping work. In fact, the whole Bhagavad Gita is about that. Arjuna wanted to quit his job. His job was as a soldier, right? And then he said, um, not this fight, I'm not into it. But you can't do that when you're in the military, right? Yes. And that's called going, uh, you're either deserter or you go AWOL, absent without leave, and then you're in trouble. You have to do your duty. So Krishna's giving the solution here, and it's an internal process. So he's saying that as you're uh, doing all your work and whatever you're doing, uh, whatever you're connected to, consider it that you're doing it for a higher purpose, and you're offering it to Krishna. And then it doesn't have the same effect. Then you don't get it attached to it in the same way because it's not yours. So I'll give the example my spiritual master used to give, and that is of a bank teller. Bank teller counts how many rupees a day? Approximately. It depends which bank. Million, <laughs> a million rupees. And then uh, let's just say the bank teller uh, thinks, like, on the way home, I need a new pair of bata shoes. <laughs> and so bank tellers, how much is a pair of bata shoes, Nirkula? I don't know. How much are, uh, what kind did you get? Two, three thousand. Two, three thousand. That's a lot. Oh, that's only $30, right? Yeah, $30. Okay, so bank teller says, okay, 10 million rupees I process every day. What's 3,000? So he just takes 3,000 off the stack and puts it in his pocket. And the camera picks it up, right? Because there's cameras probably everywhere on the bank teller. And then, is that okay? Why, it's only 3,000 rupees. Needs a pair of shoes, right? It's not a big deal, right? No, it's a big deal. Even if he takes one rupee off the stack and thinks, I, what can you get for one rupee nowadays in Delhi? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Bankers don't accept. Okay, 10 rupees, can you get anything? Bottle of water? No. Peanuts. Okay, let's hear it for peanuts. Okay, so I think so I need a package of peanuts. I'll just take 10 rupees. Surely that's not a big deal, right? No, it's a big deal. A bank teller who takes 10 rupees off the top of the stack, unauthorized. <laughs> You're fired. You're fired. It's a transgression. You can't take it. Because he took something for himself. So this is the, the formula Krishna's saying here. You work in the world, but take everything under the, this conception. And Prabhupada writes about this in one of his commentaries. He said, a devotee is one who sees the whole world as paraphernalia to use in service for Krishna. So now, if you take it that everything that you have is to be used in Krishna's service, then when you use it, when you, and when you do the work itself, when you're connected to it, then it doesn't have the same effect. You don't, you don't get in trouble for it. It's not like the bank teller who's taking the money off the top who then gets in trouble for it. You're doing it uh, 
in the right way. And that's what Krishna's talking about in this verse. This verse, Brahmanyadaya Karmai Sangan Takva Karotiya Lipitena Sapapena Padma Patram Ivambasa. Krishna says you live like a lotus flower. You can be in the water, surrounded by the water, splashed by the water, but never touched by the water. How is that possible? So he says it's a matter of your internal conception of why you're doing the thing. And if it is, you're seeing, I'm using everything for service for the Supreme, then you're never affected by the karmic reaction. It's, the sin doesn't touch you. The sin of being connected to a lower energy of matter, thinking this is mine. Because if it was yours, you'd get to keep it, which you don't. And we don't care, ultimately, because we're not actually part of the material energy. We're spiritual energy. And our real interest is in serving Krishna. So uh, there's uh, there are two concepts. I'm going to say these last two things, and then we'll take some. We'll have some discussion to churn this idea. Okay, but this is something I've been thinking about a lot, so I wanted to share it with you tonight. Two concepts. One is a concept of gratitude, and then I have an opposite word or a, a concept that I'm going to say in just a second, that is what I consider the opposite of gratitude. So first of all, has anybody ever experienced the feeling of gratitude? Yes. It's powerful, right? So then the opposite word is entitlement. Have you ever heard of the phrase, taking something for granted? Yes. Yes. This is entitlement. I take it for granted that I deserve it, that I, I'm supposed to have it. Uh, gratitude means that I thought I didn't deserve it, but I was given something. Like if you spoil a child and just give everything, and the child becomes spoiled, child thinks, I deserve more and more and more. You give a bicycle and go, that thing? What'd you give me that for? I wanted the better one. There's no, uh, there's no possibility of gratitude when somebody becomes spoiled. So. And when we develop this mood of gratitude, that everything that I have is a gift coming from God, because one thinks that actually, I don't deserve anything except for one thing that Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. And you know this verse, karmanye varikaraste mapalishu kadachana. Do you know this one? Yes, yes. Krishna says that uh, <clears throat> don't stop doing your work but don't be attached to the fruit of your work. The one thing that you can be attached to is doing your duty. And if you live like that, in this mood that you're grateful for the service, but you don't want anything from it, you're not attached to it, you're living in that mood of gratitude, but as soon as you think, I'm entitled to the, the result, that's when you get caught by the material energy. And that's the great secret of the Bhagavad Gita to live in this mood of gratitude uh, and be fully satisfied by service. And then if you think about it, anywhere you go, like let's just say you go to an event where maybe you don't know everybody and you feel like the odd person out. And like socially, it can be kind of awkward. Like how am I gonna integrate into this, uh, this group here? 
Maybe you feel some anxiety. Maybe it's a big family gathering and you're not sure who you're supposed to talk to first. And, and how the, the way to change that, that interaction is to think, how can I be of service here? Like the person who walks in and thinks, how can I be the center of attention? It's, uh, it becomes a, a great chore. But if you come in and you think, is there a service opportunity? Have you ever had this? You think, how can I help? How can I be of service? Immediately you start getting in this flow uh, and connection with everybody and you feel naturally uh, integrated. And so that's the secret Krishna's teaching here. That be attached to serving Krishna and use everything that you have in service to Krishna and feel entitled just to doing your duty but don't feel entitled to anything else. You won't. You, you, you'll live in, not only you'll live in abundance, because only people who have gratitude live in abundance. Because as soon as I have entitlement, it doesn't matter how much I have, it's not enough, ever. But as soon as I have one drop of gratitude, which is the most valuable substance in the world, if you go to Chandi Chok, and you try to, you go to Gulab Singh, you know Gulab Singh? Yeah, he has a little shop there. I used to be little when I, would, I used to go to Chandi Chok to buy oils for the deities. And if you go there, he has oils, some of them, one little bottle, $20,000. But if you go there and say, you give me one bottle of gratitude, and I'll just take a little drop every day, he'll say, I can't sell you that. It's the most valuable substance. And if you can take that, then you see the whole world in a different way. As you feel like, I'm grateful just to have my life and to have some service. My guru used to say, only a few things you need to be happy. One is, you need some service. Two, a place to lie down, to rest. And three, a little prasad. <laughs> if you get these few things, then you'd be happy. So. This verse, it actually solves the problem because when I adjust and I look at the world in a different way and I see everything I have, Krishna's given me to serve and I'm not claiming it as mine. Only thing I claim is that I, my duty and my service. And if I keep that, then I'll be always happy and all the things I touch, they won't stick to me. They won't become a problem for me because I'm the bank teller who's honest. I don't touch anything. I just do my, my service to the bank. And all that money, that's somebody else's. That's not mine. I don't own it. Then you're free. You're a free being. You can live in the world and not be touched by it. So now let's hear what you think. If you can bring up any point that we talked about that you think should be amplified or ask a question that will you know, uh, augment the, the, the concept. Yes. And very, very nice, very nicely explained about uh, like about duty that we, we have the right to do our duty only, and we should not be attached to the result. But I mean, it's good. I mean, some sometimes a majority of the people they, they understand to some extent, and then then again they get caught in the sense. Uh, sometimes if I am not attached to the results or whatever, but then they, at certain level they are attached to ego of uh, whatever. So they, I mean, they are still not attached with the Lord. I mean, that 
and he's the owner, like I'm doing on his behalf. So they still feel like that, no, no, okay, I, I don't want anything, but at the certain level, still he's expecting something or the other. That's why they get, uh, uh, they're not happy. So, I mean, how do we get out of that? Or how do we... This is the practice of spiritual life. It requires training. We have to work on ourselves. You know, when people say, uh, I'm, you know, I'm doing inner work, this is the inner work that we have to do. So there's different, there's different aspects to spiritual practice. One of them is Sangha, to have good association. Because when, when we're around people who actually are living like this, they're, they're, un they're, they're living a joyful life. Then, at least I tell you how I, think, how I feel when I'm around spiritually advanced people. I think, oh, look at this person how uh, happy and free that person is. I want to be like him or her, because they have that quality. So it's really important to, to get sadhusanga. And the other thing it's important to do is to hear the Bhagavad Gita, because Bhagavad Gita is Krishna speaking uh, for our benefit. And with any practice that we're doing, we have to be reminded regularly why we're doing it. I read this book by uh, one of the founding members of Apple. His name is Gai Kawasaki. And he wrote a book called Art of the Start. And it's about how to start uh, companies. Because after Apple, uh, he started a bunch of other companies and sold them and made a lot of money. So then he talks about like what are some of the aspects of starting and a, a company. So he said, you have to uh, define why you're doing it. And so he calls this frame or be framed. In other words, frame what your life is supposed to be like. Otherwise, someone will come and frame it for you. Someone will tell you, no, no, you should be like this. You be. Everyone's a doctor, too. Have you ever noticed if you get a cold or anything else? Or COVID? <laughs> Everyone will come and tell you, no, I'm telling you what you have to take to get rid of this. And so in your life also, everyone's going to tell you what they think you should do. And that's why you have to read Bhagavad Gita every day. Because Krishna says, no, be like this, and you're going to be happy. And who are you going to believe? You're going to believe Krishna or your uncle Sanjay, who says, you know, listen, I got the, you know, thing for you. So, yes, Prabhu. Very often, uh, we hear like this, we should not be attached to the family, we should not attach to the work and so on. I am more talking about, but they are wrong in that, to be attached to the family. See, suppose you are born, you got married, you have family, you have children. It becomes your duty to look after the children, and you have to look after the children, you have to earn, you have to work. And for everything, there is a specific time. For example, in 24 hours, 10 hours you go over, sleep, for 8 hours you are working. And then out of that time, for 1 hour, I am chanting, I am doing my puja. And I am performing all this, my thing with the God. So even if I am doing simultaneously everything, why I am told I should not attach to the family? I'm says, also working, I'm doing the all time of puja. Where in the Gita does Krishna says don't attend to your family? Sorry? 
Are you saying from the Gita, Krishna says no? Everywhere in Gita, we should not attach to the family. We should not have. Like where? Where? Where are you thinking? Says that? Every every language. Everywhere means I don't know where. Like one in place. In Bhagavad Gita itself, say you should not attach to the family. You should not attach to the individuals. You should be more attached to me. To be attached to the oh. God. But at the same time, is there anything wrong to be attached to the family? Yes, I, again, this uh, this verse solves the problem. Again, today's verse. It's if we are in the family, which we all are, we all have a family, right? Mm -hmm. And we have mother, father, children, everything. So if you're not attached mm -hmm. to your wife, how are we going to live with a wife? That would be very difficult, right? And if you have kids, like a baby, if you're not attached to the baby, you're not going to put in the work that it takes for 16, 32, 46 years to take care of a child <laughs> until it becomes, you know, strong on its own. Because it's the hardest thing you could possibly do is, is raise a baby. Is there anything harder than raising a baby? There is nothing harder on this planet. So you, naturally you're going to be attached. So if you're uh, attached with this in mind that I'm doing this as divine service. So who does the child ultimately belong to? Krishna. It belongs to Krishna because they're part and parcel of Krishna. If I, if I think, if I get attached only to the body, only to the body, and I think this child is mine, and does the child always do what, what the parent asks? Does it ever do? Never. Sometimes. It's very rare. <laughs> you know, once the child grows up, 16, I mean, I left home when I was 16. I, did my parents think that was a great idea? Not really. But, <laughs> but that was my idea. And, you know, I joined the Hare Krishna movement. But uh, the fact is that we have very little control over children. We do the best we can. But what's the best that you can do? So I'll give you a story that, that Prabhupada told once. He said, let's say that a child runs away from home and goes off to <coughs> another city. And then the child has uh, an unforeseen accident and gets amnesia. And is there, uh, ends up as a beggar. You know, like knocking on the window at the intersection. We have a lot in California too. And knock, 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 give me something. So one of the, uh, the father is distraught. Child is far away, lost, and then wondering, how will I get my child back? So a friend of the family just happens to be on a business trip in that faraway city and driving down the road and stops at the intersection, sees this person coming up asking for money and recognizes, that's my best friend's son knocking on the window. So then he thinks, okay, like here's two choices. Can roll down the window and say, here's $20, or even $100, or $1,000, or $5,000, and then drive away. Or can say, I know who you are. Why don't you get in the car and I'll take care of you. I'll take you back to your home. Which one's better? Even if he gave him a million dollars, it wouldn't be a service to that child. Uh, but the person who says, 
I know who your father is. I know how to take you back home. So when we're interacting with family, if we have a higher purpose in mind that I'm helping these living entities who have taken birth in my care to come back to their actual home, then I'll feel a sense of completion in my duty and satisfaction because I'm applying this principle that Krishna says, right? That consider sangam tyakva. I'm giving up my personal attachment that these are my children. And they're not going to do what you say anyway. So don't get that attached because gonna, you're going to be in anxiety. Yeah. But if you think, I'm doing this for Krishna, to bring them to Krishna. So the principle applies everywhere. It's universal. So if somebody thinks like that, that these children belong to Krishna and my, I have sacred duty to them, or somebody thinks, these are my family members, they have, you know, to be, for me to feel satisfied, they actually have to, you know, become something that I want them to do. Which one do you think would be ultimately a, a, a better parent? The love is still there, but the purpose is slightly different. So which one would be more uh, attentive to helping the child? What do you think? Of course, attached to a you can say that yes, children but love with God. So then both the things are going simultaneously. Perfect. And that's what Krishna is saying throughout the Bhagavad Gita. Don't get attached on a bodily level because it's like the bank teller taking off the top of the till. You're taking care of your children. You're attached to your service to them because that's your duty. So that's what you can be entitled to. Is my duty is to serve my children by helping them become you know, decent people, they, you have to protect the body also, but ultimate goal is to help them spiritually to remind them where their home is. Then your duty is complete. So it's, you know, the attachment for children and for cars and houses, it's okay as long as the purpose is aligned properly because everyone's going to have a different level of, of uh, accumulation in their life. You know, some person lives in a simple place, another person lives in a palace, it doesn't matter. It's not a matter of the quantity of things you have, it's a matter of your relationship with them. Nice question. Okay, sorry? I said you asked a good question. Okay, thank you. Like, very often we are also told uh, you should not have any attachment to the materialistic thing. Very often, like. So what I understand from you, there's nothing wrong to have attachment to the family, attachment even to the materialistic thing, as long as you feel it is for with the love of God, it is for God. So there's nothing wrong to having the consciousness. That's right. It's your consciousness. Right. So right. The other thing here, I read it, which is written, is unaffected <coughs> by sinful action. Yes. How does it combine with this unaffected by sinful action? Well, first we have to say what sin means. It's a little bit of a surcharged word because it's like sounds very Christian, <laughs> and we say sin. And it's like, sin, I'm not a sinner, or whatever it may be. So, <clears throat> the, the, the real problem we have is called ignorance, or avidya. In Sanskrit, it's more precise. There's vidya and avidya. So everyone knows what that means, right? There's, like, I know what things are. I have clear, clarity who they belong to. And avidya means I don't know. Just like if you come over here to this house tonight and you don't know whose house it is, 
and you just assume this is my house, there's a lot of nice stuff here. You just bring a bag and start loading it up. <laughs> that would be very inappropriate, and that's called sin. <laughs> taking, taking from somebody else's house. I mean, everyone would look at you like, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy or are you just a criminal? So on this way, God also must be thinking the same for us. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, I'm born into the world with nothing, right? I come out and I'm supplied with lung power. I get oxygen for free, water and everything. And I start looking around. It's like, how about all these oil fields? These are mine. And the Mother Earth in the form of Bumi is looking at us going like, are you kidding me? It, you know, everyone tries this trick. They try to become a king or a queen, and then, then they say, this is my earth, and now I want to claim the water, too. Like, this is no-fly zone over here, my place. And it's like, but you're going to be leaving soon. How is it yours? So this is called avidya, ignorance. This is, a, a, it creates imbalance in the world when somebody doesn't know where they're going or why they're going. It's like driving down, what's the main road here in, in Delhi? The biggest freeway or tollway, what's it called? Expressway, I mean, Delhi it's Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi Road, so yeah. let's put somebody on Mahatma Gandhi Road, but first we'll put a blindfold on them and then say, okay, now you drive on Mahatma Gandhi Road. I mean, even if you drive on Mahatma Gandhi Road on a busy day without a blindfold, you're likely to crash because <laughs> it's so crazy. But if you put a blindfold on, you're definitely going to crash. So that's sin. That's avidya. It means you don't have clarity. This is clarity. No clarity means I don't know who it belongs to. So I have a blindfold on, so I'm going to have, there's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be problem. That's what the verse is talking about, really. So if you have clarity, I know who I am. I know what my relationship with the world is. And it's a very happy relationship. I get to use everything, all my senses, artwork, uh, love for family, uh, uh, you know, organization skills, everything you can use. You're supposed to use it. That's, you're endowed with that by God. These are your gifts from God. But just use them for the right purpose. Use them in service. The other way doesn't work, because no matter how much you get, unless you have that sense of service, that I'm using it for a higher purpose, it just becomes a burden. It's like people win the lottery. Do you know there's, there's many studies. When people win the lottery, and they don't know what to do with money, they're crushed by it. Did you know this? Yes. People, they get all this money, and then everybody comes to them and is like, you don't deserve this, give me, give me some, you know? And, and then the people themselves, they, they just feel overburdened by it because they don't have this sense of purpose of using it for a higher cause. So same thing, all the energies we have, all the gifts that we have been endowed with by God, all of us have it in one unique way or another. If we don't have that connection to service, that I want to use this for, for God, I want to use it for a higher purpose, then the energy just crushes us and we feel morose. Like, what's the use of it anyway? There's no connection. That's called avidya. That's sin. It means we're out of balance. You know, the other word that connected is dukkha. Dukkha means we're out of alignment. Like, if you have an axle in, in two wheels, if it gets a little bit out of alignment, you start feeling wobbling, 
And even a fire can start because of the friction. So this is what happens in our lives. When our purpose is not aligned in service with God, then I start to feel like anxiety. Uh, like, uh, because my conscience isn't clean. I'm claiming, I'm the bank teller I'm taking out of the till. And I know it. Deep inside, subconsciously, I'm thinking, I'm stealing. And so how can I be happy? This is avidya or sin. So the alignment is this verse. Just get clear. Where, who am I? I'm a bank teller. Who's in my family? These are God's children. I'm serving God by serving these children. Once Prabhupada told one of the devotees early on in our Hare Krishna movement, had a child, and then said, well, I can't come in and do my service now in the temple because I choked. Prabhupada said, your child now is your deity, your duty to serve the child. <laughs> you take good care because that's Krishna's child. You're taking care for that. And the love is there, naturally. But the proper alignment is there. It's not that this is only my child, but it's my child given to me in, for service to Krishna. That one tiny little alignment, that's the axle going right into the wheel in the proper way, right? So that's the idea. See, in the beginning you said that uh, one body, after death, body goes, and then next body, so our karmas carries to the next body. Yeah. I have one question over here. I'm sorry, I'm asking some questions. Good questions. Good questions. Clarifications. Okay. You said that uh, but uh, after the death, one body goes, our karma uh, shifts to the, uh, carries to the next body, right? Yeah. Now, body has two elements, basically one is the soul, one is the body itself. As a soul, we are told, it is unaffected by anything. Soul is unaffected by anything whatsoever it is. Okay, understood. When body is burned, nothing is left out. Then how the karma will carry to the next body? Yes. Because soul was unaffected. By all means, it doesn't get affected by anything. Body has gone, burned fully. How karma then carries from one body to the body? Correct. Okay, let me give an example. Anybody here have a smartphone? <laughs> yes, a smartphone? <laughs> Everyone, did you back it up? Did yeah. I put you in anxiety by asking that question? If <laughs> you go to the shop and it's frozen and they say, did you back it up? Like, I don't remember when I backed it up. So we have, consider the body. Let's consider for a minute, the body that we have now is a smartphone, okay? So the smartphone has two major parts. There's the hardware and the software. So if the hardware, if you backed up your smartphone, and I'm sure you do it, it backs up automatically to the cloud. Say yes, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So it's already backed up. Now, if something happens, let's just say you happen to be looking at the ocean and you, your phone slips from your hand and it goes in the ocean. All's lost, right? Is all lost? No. no. Why? It's backed up. You backed it up, right? <laughs> Where did you back it up? To the cloud. So, as potentially Muni from thousands of years ago explains, we have a hardware and we have a software. So the software is the mind. So Krishna explains this in the Gita. Earth, water, fire, air, 
ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These are the hardware and the software. They're all material elements, but some are hardware, some are software. So what happens, uh, Patanjali Muni explains this, Krishna also in the Gita, I'll, I'll tell about that in just a second, but he, Patanjali Muni says like this, he says that, let's say, <clears throat> okay, I'm just giving an example to paraphrase what he says. Let's say you're walking in sand. Where's there sand here, wet sand? Nothing in Delhi, right? Where do you have to go, Juhu? Bombay. Bombay. You go to Bombay to the ocean, and you're walking along. If you ever had this happen, and you look behind and you see your footprint in the sand, yes. you've had that experience. So you, and you can identify whose footprint is what. Say you're walking with your child, yeah. and you look. There's my child's footprint. There's mine. And the children are looking too. Oh yeah. And then you have your dog with you, and the dog. There's the dog's footprint. Mm. They all have a footprint. Everyone has a, a footprint. So what Patanjali Muni says, and Krishna says also in the Gita, is that when we're working in the world, we're creating uh, these footprints. And how are they defined? They're called samskar. So samskar is an impression, a latent impression within the mind. And these impressions accumulate, and they form a very specific kind of a footprint that we have that's very strong when we leave the body. I was with somebody recently in the last four years, I guess. I don't count the two years of the pandemic, so let's say two years. That's kind of like, just edit those out. So I was with him when he was leaving his body and he was mightily trying to make up for lost time to become Christian conscious in his last couple months when he found out he only had two months to live. And he was telling me, uh, that it, this is very hard because he said I've, I've been working for myself and accumulating and holding on to everything especially money uh, up until this last minute and he said I want to hand it over <laughs> but it's very hard I haven't practiced it so there's a very strong footprint that we have that we create according to our association and our work in this lifetime and so what potentially Muni says, you look at the footprint in the sand, and then let's say you're able to then put plaster of Paris in that footprint. You know what that is? Arts and crafts people in here? Yes. Okay, everyone knows. You, we did that to build little things. So you pour it in there, and then when it dries, you pull it out. It's a perfect image of your foot. So he says, these impressions we're leaving in the so-called sand of our mind these get filled in by material nature in our next life. So whatever impressions we have there, it's an, an accommodation. The material nature is actually helping us, saying, this is what you want. This is your desire. Here you go. Here it is. Here's the, here's the fill-in. So look at your body now. Take a look. Go ahead. That's what's filled in by material nature from your impressions from the last life. You got a particular, uh, you know, arrangement made specifically for you. So Krishna says the same thing. It's in the Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter. He uses this example of the subtle body is like air. It's passing over a substance and it picks up the scent. So air is never attached to anything, right? So neither is the soul, but it carries with it a conception. So 
It's like in a dream. You may be chased by a tiger and somebody's watching you on the bed and your eyes are moving like that and you might be going like this and trying to, you know, like your body twitching. And the person standing there is just watching you and saying, oh, something, some dream is going on. Even animals have it, like a dog will start you know, running in a dream. So the dogs have subtle bodies also. They're living entities. They just got accommodated by material nature with another kind of body. So Krishna says, Shocham chakshu sparsharam cha rasanam grahanam evacha adishtayam manaschayam vishan upasevate. You get a custom made, custom ordered by material nature what you wanted. A certain kind of nose, ear, eye, sense of touch, just like when you order online. It's like, okay, what kind of computer do you want? Most memory I can get. What kind of other thing? <laughs> I mean, put in all the specs and then they send it to you, right? So we're ordering up through material nature, this is what I want. So when we leave the body, the material nature f fills it in for us, and that's what we get. So when we change our consciousness, then we change everything. Everything is uh, uh, being manifest from us. We're creating it. This is one of the messages of the Bhagavad Gita. It's the greatest self-help book that was ever written. Because self-help, in essence, is all about it's not what happens to you. It's about what you do do about what happens to you, right? And you're the one that's responsible. Because if you're not, then don't read self-help books because they won't help you because you can't help yourself. So that's uh, the mystery that's answered very clearly throughout the Vedic Shastra. It's the greatest contribution to the world. People don't know this simple fact that you're creating your own bodies and your own situations in your next life. It's not really a mystery, actually. Throughout the life, Maharaj, we keep putting in the cart, and the final order is... You keep putting in the cart, shopping cart, then the final order. Then you have to pay the bill. And actually, the bill is the karma. And so you have to pay for all that. Is that okay? Thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank you for such good questions. We probably have time just for one or two more. I have a small question, too. Um, when, when I entered, you were talking about entitlement and gratitude. And as you rightly said, the kids, how do we change, how do we help them change their mindset? Because they do have everything at the snap of their fingers. And uh, so the feeling of entitlement to gratitude. Well, not, especially with, with others and with children, I love working with children. I didn't used to, but, but I do now. And I, I work with kids a lot. In fact, one of my wristbands here says Youth Jam. Started an organization for just for youth, kids, anywhere from five, or they can join younger if they want, five up to 24 now, uh, kids. And my experience with, with kids, of course I get the cream of the crop of kids who are devotee kids, who already have really good parents. And, but a few observations I have about it is that um, you got to give a lot of love to kids, and love translated means attention. If you're if you're there for them and you're actually giving them your attention, then there's a feeling of transference of love. That's one thing that's really that I've found is really important. You got to show up uh, because um, uh, you vote with your feet. You're either there or you're not there. And then you have to provide a, a forum where, in which they can 
uh, learn the, the joy of transcendental sound vibration. And, uh, you know, the mind is a, um, either a friend or an enemy for any living entity. And for children, they're developing their minds when they're inculcated with um, association that says you'll be happy if you get certain things or play certain games and their mind becomes attached to it, that it takes a, uh, a while in a in different kind of, for anybody, but for kids, they're in their formative years, it takes a different kind of association. Uh, and I find the kids, they need to see other kids doing well. This is very helpful also. Because even with, uh, and I'm talking about the context of dealing with the devotee kids, even they, if they don't get the right association and see other kids doing well, they'll be pulled in different directions by other kinds of association. Just because uh, we're devotees doesn't mean our kids are going to become devotees. It takes a lot of work and inculcation uh, for that to happen. So one of the things I've noticed, and from interviewing kids who grew up, I say, what are some of the main factors that helped you? And one of them, they said, is seeing other kids doing great in spiritual practice. So that's one thing. And the other thing is empowerment. They have to have something uh, to do, some service. We all do. We need, we need to have some tangible service, like a feeling of mission, that we're doing something. So in, in spiritual life, we were just talking about that today. We have to have a stake in it. Like, I'm part of this. I'm doing something to help the world by doing my spiritual service. And when kids get that, and they get in an environment where they can get that feeling of service, then, you know, they can grab onto it. And they feel, they feel empowered. Like, uh, I, there's some I can... Pardon? There's some purpose. Yeah, there's some purpose. There's some purpose to it. These are a few things. And don't dis despair... Because everything uh, with time and mercy and the right, uh, you know, uh, practice, everything can be enacted. And uh, also, I tell parents all the time, you know, about kids, is you also have to have a, a, a little modicum of detachment, too. Yes, pour in all your love, give all your attention, do the best you can, but you also have to understand you're dealing with a living entity who has volition and his or her own <laughs> direction, you know. So even like my spiritual master Prabhupada, he had kids, not all of them became devotees. You know, it's not just a guarantee that because I'm doing it uh, the best I can that they're going to follow. So you also can't become so, uh, you, if you're a little bit, you have a, a little tiny bit of detachment in it, that actually helps the kids, I notice. Because they, they see that, you know, you're reasonable about it. If you try to get, hang on too hard, sometimes it pushes them the other way also. And those are a few things off the top of my head. Nirakula, do you want to say anything about it? Okay. That's my wife, Nirakula. She usually has something to add that's better than what I said, factually. But So... We do the best we can with what we have. And if you do the right thing, Krishna says this in the Gita, don't worry if you're doing the right thing and you're good for it, 
everything's that no no harm is going to come to you ultimately and, and like everybody ultimately is responsible for their own actions so the best thing we can do for others is to have our own integrity if we're whole if we're doing it the best we can then we have a lot of power that we don't even see and if we don't then it doesn't matter what we teach it's not going to stick anywhere it doesn't have potency that's how it works on a subtle level. So all of you came heroically through the traffic. And you know, it's really touching that at a moment's notice, you just picked up and came over here. I'm so deeply touched. And uh, I know you have work schedules and all kinds of things. So I don't want to, you know, take too, too long. It's already 8.20. So maybe we can stop there. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Tomorrow morning, we're going to Vrindavan. My wife and I came over here because uh, normally we come to Vrindavan at least once a year. I generally uh, come at the very beginning of Kartik or a few days before, then my wife joins later. And I stay out at Govardhan Hill. There's an ashram out there called the Bhaktivedanta Ashram. And I use that time to exclusively lean into uh, hearing Srimad Bhagavatam and other, we have a, a group that comes out there. It's kind of a sequestered place, so we're off the, off the grid and we can just, for at least the whole month of Kartik, lean into hearing and chanting and practicing and stuff. Chakradola was there. Oh. Was it nice? Very nice. It's very nice. You know, just like really sweet time. So, we're gonna. Uh, we're just going out to Vrindavan for a few weeks because we live in California. We uh, congregate at a temple called Iskand of Silicon Valley, and it's a very active service to be there and to be engaged all the time. And in order to be of more service, we're just taking uh, a little time to sort of, you know nourish ourselves spiritually and feel that absorption and that you get when you're in Vrindavan so we can go back and be more effective. So we're going to leave early in the morning tomorrow and try to make it to Vrindavan in time to get our camp set up over there and um, start our process. Thank you very much for coming and your kind attention and amazing questions. Thank you so much, Mother.